You're listening to the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm your host, three-time Olympian and motivational speaker, Leah Amico. On this show, we're going to dig deep to unlock what it actually takes to build a foundation for greatness. If you're an ambitious person with big vision, but you feel like fear is holding you back, get ready for some major breakthroughs. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm really excited about this next guest we have on today. Um, She is phenomenal in every way and all aspects of things that she has um, set out to do. She puts her mind to things and she just rises to the top. Um, She is a four-time college first-team All-American from Stanford. She's a two-time Olympian. I got a gold medal, actually, uh, as my teammate in the 2004 Olympics um, and has gone on to be just an amazing sportscaster. She currently serves as a color commentator and analyst for ESPN's coverage of Major League Baseball and the Los Angeles Dodgers coverage on Spectrum Sports Net LA. So I want to welcome Jessica Mendoza to the Gold Standard Podcast. Leah, what's up? <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on here, Jess. I know that um, it's been a while. We've both been busy doing our own things, but I'm so excited for people to hear your story and your journey and ultimately what has helped you just to succeed in everything that you've done. So very excited to have you here. So let's go ahead and let's start first. Um, Jessica, the softball player. Uh, I know that when I first, you know, saw you in the USA process, I think it was actually travel ball. I think I played with you when I was um, competing and you were the young and up and coming athlete. Um, talk to me about you as, as an athlete and kind of the growth and what, what the most important keys were for you as an athlete, being able to then reach the level of not only reaching college, but team USA eventually. Yeah. I mean, when I first started playing, I wasn't very good at all. Um, and I, I think that was huge in a lot of ways. And honestly, I think relatable to like most people. I think a lot of people assume like you come out, you're an Olympian level uh, softball player. And we see that, you know, softball and baseball, like, you know, five-year-old, six-year-old, eight-year-old stand out and are above and beyond the rest. That wasn't me. <laughs> like I was just very uncoordinated. I had these long legs that I was still trying to kind of figure out and you know, I, I think the biggest thing, you know, watching old home videos and when I first was playing is I, I always loved the game. I had a huge smile on my face. Um, and I just, I love being out there with my sisters, my, you know, my, my teammates, my friends, um, the game itself was really enjoyable. I have a father that was a coach, a baseball coach. So he, you know, he would help and work with me. So I was new, like, okay, like I can hang, you know, I wasn't the worst player on the field, but I definitely wasn't a, a star by any means. And that kind of gave me an appreciation for work ethic because I definitely understand, understood early on, you know, when I would go hit with my dad, the difference that it would make throughout the season and how I would notice um, an immediate impact. Same with ground ball work, you know, tee work, things that you don't want to do. I think we all want to go take batting practice. Like there's certain things that are just really fun. And there's the things that aren't as fun, you know, like working on a backhand at shortstop over and over and getting that, that good hop and coming through it, working on a low outside pitch off a tee, but visualizing the pitcher and not just, you know, getting your hacks in and move on. Um, you know, all those things were taught to me at a, a young age and I got to see early on the dividends, the, the way that it paid off because I wasn't very good. And then I slowly started to climb that ladder. And on the flip side, see those that were stars, like super studs, just stay the same over the course of time. 
Yeah, I think that is such an important message to everybody because I I agree. I feel like for me, my work ethic and my passion really like, you know, took over more than the talent I had. But you, you, I mean, I don't know. It was very hard work, but you ended up truly being the most physically talented athletes. I mean, you had speed and you had power, but I love that message of anybody that puts in that work, you can climb to be one of the best that there is. Talk to me a little bit about... um, Playing for your dad. I mean, a lot of people pay for their parents and sometimes they're, that, that's a good thing. And sometimes it can be a bad thing. What did you love most about that? Or were there any negatives as well? Oh, it was both for sure. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, we have our stories, you know, of course you look back on it and I'm, I'm so grateful. And so, you know, to both my parents and, you know, the sacrifice they put in, but definitely like my dad was my coach and everyone who's had a mom or dad as a coach, like can fully relate to just the battles, you know, when it's mom or dad, I see it now. I coach both. I push both my kids. I'm coaching my eight-year-old now currently. And it's hard when it's your own and now seeing it from the other side, you know, I understand how hard he was on me, but you only see it as, but you didn't tell Jennifer the same thing or like Leah got away with that. Like what did, why did Leah have to do pushups, you know, and everything's unfair. And then of course, when I was a teenager, there were like the, like, elevated battles. Cause at that point I knew everything, of course, you know, so he <laughs> yes. could tell me nothing because I knew it. <laughs> so, I mean, I could tell you stories for days of getting left <laughs> in the field. I threw a bat at my dad once. I mean, there were definitely not pretty heartwarming, like roll the music Hollywood movie for sure. Um, but where it got me. And then ultimately like that was our relationship too. You know, my dad loved my, my sisters and I, and my brother and the way he loved us was through sports. You know, that was his love language. And he coached us day and night. And he was a defensive coordinator for the college football team. He was the head baseball coach. I mean, anyone who knows, you know, college level, high school level coaching knows that you don't have a lot of free time. We were just talking about this with our lives, but he always made time. He always made an effort to make sure that we were being pushed and we were working out and I still have friends to this day, actually Cindy Ball Malone, who's the head coach at UCF was my high school teammate. And just the other day we were talking and she was like, you know, I always hated going over to your house for dinner. And I was like, what? Like, we always had so much food. And she's like, don't you remember your dad would make us do a full workout before we were allowed to eat? I was like, oh, was that not normal? Is that not normal? <laughs> he literally had a military press that we had to do. It was in the kitchen next to the, like, so before we could eat, you had to line up and I, apparently friends included, like everyone had to do the full, like, it wasn't just like a couple reps. It was like this full workout. So, yeah. That is so huge. Okay. I can relate so much. Yes. When my dad was coaching me and I think I was like 16 years old. And again, I was just like over it, you know, and same thing. I come out after like popping up, he comes, he's just yelling at me. And I'm like, why don't you yell at every other girl that just popped up as well? Like, I think I'll be okay. If you're yelling at me, yeah, you're yelling totally. at them too. It's so <laughs> like, true. Yeah, there we it is. It paid off though. And <laughs> that's right. I know. And, and you say that relationship with sports, I just remember like, wow. Like after I even retired, I was 29 years old. And I remember thinking like, okay, my dad and my relationship is going to look a little different because so much was surrounded. But to this yeah. day, I'm sure you guys as well, like we still talk sports all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah, right? totally. Yeah. We talk so, Dodgers now and he comes yeah. to my kids games and then he's, he still yells at me for like, well, why didn't you work on him with his backhand? I mean, this is something you should have been doing. I'm like, oh, so it's my fault again. You're right, Dad. 
<laughs> no matter what role I'm in. Okay. Talk to me a little bit. Um, you had a chance to go and you got a scholarship to play at one of the most prestigious country colleges in the country at Stanford university. So what was that like? Like, did you always want to go to Stanford when you were growing up? Did you know where you wanted to play? I actually always wanted to go to UCLA. Um, grew up, my dad was a big UCLA fan. He always took me to UCLA football games. And then as like UCLA, you know, and softball became more prominent, we went to UCLA softball games, which was pretty cool. Like, especially like early nineties watching, you know, UCLA and Lee Fernandez and, um, you know, just being able to be around that cal- caliber of, you know, just any kind of college level. And it got my brain really thinking the most about school. Like I remember it really triggering to me, like that was our pro sports. Like that was it, right? It was playing college softball. And I'm like, okay, so like to help me play college softball, if I have good grades, it's only going to help, you know, kind of balance with whatever talent I end up with, you know? So, you know, if I have really, really good grades and like decent amount of talent, like I'm going to have a lot of options for school, but it was always UCLA. And when the recruiting time came along, um, you know, it became a little more complicated. My three trips were UCLA, Arizona, and Stanford. Um, Texas and Notre Dame both canceled on me. They were two recruiting trips I was also excited for. And they called me up and were like, yeah, we're just not really interested anymore. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So Uh, interesting. I wonder if they just still kick themselves for that. (laughs) Yeah, no, it just, it was, it was probably better, but I was like so excited for both those trips too. Just like a little more, you know, getting out across the country and seeing different programs. So they, they canceled. Um, And then, and of course, you know, back then, like you actually went on a real recruiting trips. Like that was your chance to really see the school for the first time. Um, My Arizona recruiting trip, I went with Finch. It was her and I together flying together. As soon as we landed, she committed. And so it was literally just the two of us and the rest of the weekend. It was like, okay, like, come on. And she'd already gone on all her trips. It was my first, um, but the whole idea was like Jenny and Jess will be roommates and you know, all this stuff. And then, um, you know, Stanford just really blew me away mm-hmm. and it wasn't so much on my radar. I was a big basketball player. So to be honest, like I did watch Tara Vanderveer in those early nineties. Um, you know, Jennifer, uh, uh, Ozzy uh, at a Stanford basketball, just, I had her poster. So, you know, I thought in the back of my mind, maybe I could play basketball here. <laughs> um, but it was actually my, of the only one of my trips where they actually took me to class. <laughs> oh, interesting. And it was awesome. Like, and I know like school, like, you know, but to me, like to be, college is awesome. Like I loved my classes at Stanford. Um, and it was really going to class <laughs> like everywhere else it was the parties and the social and softball and this was the first time I really was introduced to the school and you know my host spoke three different languages she just come back from France where she was like building homes for the impoverished and I was just like like mind blown it just wasn't in the same hemisphere for me um and I never would have known had I not visited and opened my mind because all oh, I was like one track UCLA um, and to be honest, they didn't offer me a full ride scholarship. They uh, were offering me a walk-on to be a walk-on. And that was huge because we couldn't afford like, you know, to be able to go there. And so it really opened my mind up and I'm still forever grateful to Sue Inquest, even though we always joke about it now. Um, like, thank you for offering me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that is awesome. It was meant to be to go to Stanford. 
Yeah, for sure. And everybody's journey is so different. I, I mean, I love that as well. I, I also was not looked at at all. UCLA, for those that don't know, they are one of the best programs in the country now, but they always were the best the dynasty back in the you know late 80s, early 90s and, and throughout those years. So the years we were getting recruited. Um, let's talk a little bit about the pro league. You had a chance um, after, you know, graduating and um well, actually, no, you, you've got to talk USA first. So oh, the yeah, USA yeah. softball, how did that, I almost like skipped all of that. How did I do that? It, it was first. How, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about USA. Like when did that get on your radar during college? Were you thinking that was my next step? That's what I want to do. Like, how did that play in? I mean, I never thought, I mean, I remember watching the 96 team, watching you and Dot and well, everybody. And, um, and even in 2000, when I was in college, I was a sophomore in college. I waited in line to get all y'all's autographs that I still have. It's actually back here. Um, <laughs> I waited in line, like in San Diego, you guys were playing in San Diego before you guys were headed to Australia at some point. And I went down there or Southern California, it might've been Orange County. And I remember waiting in line to get the whole team's autograph. And like, it was insane is I actually made the team the next year, <laughs> but wow. it wasn't even talked about or thought about, to be honest, me going to Stanford, like a lot of people took that as like, Oh, like she's just going for school. She's not serious about softball. Um, and I had to really like make some serious waves in college to get people to notice me. Um, and I wasn't like super known in, in high school either. And it wasn't until I think 2000, I was like the player of the or whatever. Yeah. Pac-12 player of the year and all the awards. And then that next summer, all of the Olympians went and played in the pro league. So we had an opportunity as college players, they made two US teams and it really was huge because it opened up then like more opportunities, really 32 players, I think um, at least 32 to 35 players were selected to play on two national teams. And none of them were Olympians unless it was like newbie or anyone that had been in college um, or still in college. So that was, that was awesome. So 2001 was my first year making it. And I remember even going to the tryouts, Leah, and I was like, this is just really cool to be here. And it wasn't like I didn't have goals. I just, I don't know. Like I never, I, I think I had way too many insecurities in like my own ability. I never saw myself for what everyone else saw. I mean, I didn't even think I was going to start at Stanford. Like I remember Ramona Shelburne, one of my teammates, when I was like, gosh, I just, you know, I hope I get it, get some playing time this year. And this is like before our first game. And she's like, Doze, that was my nickname. It's like, Doze, you're our best player. <laughs> I was, I was literally like, I just hope I can get in sometimes like be really cool to get in a bat. And she was just like, like, <laughs> dude, like, hello, oh. <laughs> the <bat> third, like <laughs> wake up. <laughs> oh my. It's kind of refreshing though, because like in some ways, like it's this idea of like, I need to keep striving. I can get there one day. I'm going to keep going until I get to that spot. But then at the same time, in a sense, like it, it's kind of that humility as well. I, I love that. And I can, again, I can just so relate. I mean, I think it's weird, like, especially being surrounded by so many all Americans, different people. I always was like, I just got to get better. got to be like them, you know? And then, yeah. but then it's this weird. And I don't know, you'll have to tell me this side for me, this other side of it was this competition side of like, but that opponent, oh, I'm going to beat them. Like, did that kick in when you were playing other people in that sense? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like I do think it's a balance of that because like what you said, it's good to be humble at practice. Like I always, the quote is like play or practice. Like you're the worst player on the field, play like you're the best. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't always, the confidence in game didn't always kick in, but the, the competitiveness did for sure. So I was always competing. Now that didn't always coincide with confidence. 
it just was like, a, I'm not going to let you beat me. So I'm going to like scrappy battle, whatever. Even as a team, we are going to come get you. Like she's not, you know, especially pitchers, like let's go girl. Like you can't take me. But to be honest, like I really lacked confidence early on. And I felt like my game elevated so much when I was able to really feel like I was the best player on the field. Like legitimately look at an opponent and be like, girl, like you'll never be better than me. Like I got this. I worked harder than you. Like I will be better. And that took like years to get to. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. So how did that happen? Like in the weight room, just, just through success on the field from your coaches, like, or was it just a little mix of all of it? Hitting a low. Um, you, you wouldn't even remember this. This is like huge pivot because you were my teammate, but 2003, uh, Dominican Republic, Pan American games. Um, as you know, there's not a ton of competition. Like Canada is like our biggest competition. We do play a lot of like, you know, just lower level teams and, you know, scores are like 16 to one. And, and I remember it was a month from was August from the Olympic team being chosen. So they were, we we're going to have tryouts that fall for the 2004 Olympic team. So the very first Olympic team that I would be trying out for was, was on the horizon. It was the next thing. And all I kept thinking is I'm not good enough. Like, oh my gosh, like here's Lisa Fernandez. Here's Leo Brandamica, Laura Bird. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I, how am I going to make this team? Like, there's no way. And while the team probably hit 800 for that tournament, I hit, I'm not even kidding, like a buck 80. Like I became the person I doubted. Like all that doubt, all that humility that maybe had gotten to me at a certain point, that lack of confidence, that insecurity, and it makes you work and do all these things. But then I was out on the field and I'm playing these games and I'm like, am I good enough? And like all that doubt, all of a sudden, like I could not hit anything. And I, I knew it. I was like, no, I'm better than this, but it's not a switch. Like you tell yourself you're not good enough long enough. You will become that person. And then you can't just say, oh, just kidding. I believe in you now. That's not how it works. And I remember sitting in the bathroom in the Dominican Republic, like these, like, like card, it was like a piece of cardboard. Okay. And I'm like, just crying like mid game, just like, Oh my God, like I destroyed my chances because I have lacked this confidence and doubted myself so long. And now I am that player. And it's like giant cockroach. This is like <laughs> such a detailed story, but it's like literally and it's just like all of a sudden walks by, right? And they're like freaking animals down there, like huge <laughs> insect, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in like a hundred degree weather in a cardboard box with a cockroach playing for my, representing my national, like this isn't why I play softball. Like I am miserable right now. Like I am not happy. I am not confident. This is not who I am. And it was this, this total moment of like, never again. Like I will mm. never allow this game to make me feel like this, but also for me to let myself get to this point. And I mean, there was no like superwoman moment where I like came out of the cardboard box and hit a home <laughs> run. Like it still kind of sucked, honestly, the rest of the tournament, but I knew it was something that I needed to work on and change. And from then on, Leah, like I, just like you work on the backhand and you work on the low outside pitch on the tee, I worked on believing how good I was and understanding the strengths that I had and actually giving myself that due still working hard, but giving myself the ability to be like, Jess, you're good enough. You're strong. You're fast. You're, you can do all of these things and you deserve to be on this team. Wow. I think that just speaks to people, no matter what you are doing. The gold standard podcast is brought to you by major media league. Major media league is a revolutionary competitive app launching in June, 2022. 
This app gives softball athletes a platform to showcase their skills by participating in challenges and having the chance to win prizes and scholarships. This is also an opportunity to promote your own talent. For all the athletes out there, it's free to join. So go sign up today at www.majormedialeague.com. The link is also in the show notes. You'll be notified when the Major Media League app launches. So get prepared for the unbelievable opportunity that lies ahead to grow your brand as an athlete. Um, what do you think? I just feel like I need to bring this up just because of this crisis happening a lot across the country. I mean, really people of all ages, but we're seeing it in, in high school and college with mental health. Um, what would you say to those people? I mean, just to, to, that they need to hear that, that they are good enough and they are worthy. I think a lot of it's getting outside of your own head. I think we feel like very alone, very dark, very like you get in these places. And I know I tell that story and everyone laughs about the cockroach, but like I was blessed to have this moment where I could see myself and I didn't share. I mean, we were teammates then. You had no idea no, <laughs> no. going on. Like there's a lot of people out there that are experiencing like serious depression, serious mental anxiety, yeah. serious, like across the board. And yet they don't share, they don't lean. And it's hard. Cause the last thing you want to do is be like, you know, crying in a dugout. Like, you know, you have to find how to ask for help. You have to be able, and that's what I'm grateful from, especially this year is the amount of phone numbers, the amount of go to this website, the amount of coaches saying, can we bring in personal like psychologists that you can talk privately to like resources? Yeah. We're never there before. Um, and that wasn't something like we weren't going to go to a coach. I wasn't going to my candor and be like, I'm struggling mentally right now. No, you know, and there wasn't support for that. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's my biggest thing is like, it's okay. And you will find quickly. And we've been talking to college athletes now so much more openly, Mm -hmm. but I'd say at least half the team is struggling in some sort of mental capacity with how they handle failure. Mm. Yeah. And I do think it comes out of like you're saying, or, or even like, I've had all the success. Can I maintain it? I remember Jocelyn Allo, we know the story, um, you know, the NCAA career leader for home runs right now from Oklahoma and her sophomore years coach. Patty Gasso made her step aside for a couple of weeks and it, she was like, no, I can't believe you're making me do this, but it was the best thing ever for her because she was able to see why she played and what, you know, was really at the heart of all of it. Um, okay. That's a lot of information. I think we could go a whole nother, you know, hour totally. talking about that's that. You and I, everyone's getting a glimpse into like Leah, like me coming to Leah and Bergie's room on the Olympic team. And we would just talk until like two in the morning, like we would, yeah, would solve all the world's problems. <laughs> Seriously. I think if I think of anyone that I talked to the most, it was you, Jessica. Also. Yeah, I know. Well, you put us together and it was like here we, and I think Bergie would just go to sleep <laughs> We'd just be like, there on the bus anyway uh, okay so we're gonna shift just because of time I really feel like I might have to have you on again because you have so much great information to share let's shift gear a little bit you did play in the pro pro league you did amazing you won you you know were named all everything MVP <laughs> um, but we're gonna skip that a little bit just for sake of time let's talk a little bit about your commentating and broadcasting you first started out doing college softball, you ended up, you know, announcing and being an analyst for the women's college world series. Then you broke barriers and were the first female to be commentating for college baseball at the college world series. And then you've gone on now to do so much. And again, be another, um, you know, barrier breaker in, in, um, the, MLB and, you know, with ESPN and different roles that you've played. So talk to me a little bit about that shift, how that happened and, you know, kind of what that journey was like. Did you, again, did you always want to do something like that? 
no, I mean, no, I, <laughs> I, I graduated from Stanford with my master's degree going, planned to go into politics at an internship in DC, wanting to work on educational reform. Um, mm. And it just, I got asked to audition around the time that, you know, they just call softball was booming. They needed more analysts. And so that was just this after actually we played China on ESPN at some point and they asked, Hey, you got a lot of energy, a lot of passion. Would you be interested in auditioning? And I kind of laughed to be honest. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, like <laughs> no filter. Like who knows what to come out of my mouth? Like I'll be fired first day. Like this ain't going to work. Um, but I had some people around me that were like, and you know, my background, I'm like, I didn't study journalism or communications. And, um, I just remember going to the audition, Beth Moens, they flew her in. And just within minutes, I did know then that this was something I wanted to do within minutes. Um, and you've probably felt this too, because you and I are similar and how we like see the game, have an ability to vocalize <laughs> easily. <laughs> um, but I immediately knew like, oh, like, this is just like kicking it with your friends and just explaining like what's happening, like what you're seeing, you know, and learning and getting to really highlight these amazing women. Um, so that I knew right away, I was like, I want to continue to do this. Um, and then I just, I got from there, just got asked to go into college football, which was way outside of my bubble reporting. And it was reporting that got me to baseball. So it was a side door. Mm -hmm. Um, because at that time there were no women, female analysts, you know, Michelle Smith, I think had done one game for TBS, you know, and it was like, Oh, great. We have an Olympian, you know, but it was like, no, how do we have analysts that are like women that are doing this time and time again? So I was a, I was a sideline reporter for college baseball, but for my first game on, I asked if I could break down hitters, if I could have my own monitor, if I could do more than just what we were being asked as reporters. And I had awesome producers who were like, sure, go for it. And then that led to major league baseball as a reporter, again, on the field, very female known role. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until actually one of my bosses, I never was like, Oh, I need to be in the booth. I was like, you just keep letting me break down hitters down here. And like, I'm good. Like I was fine. But one of my bosses for baseball was like, if you want to be an analyst, Jess, um, we need to put you in the booth. And I was like, all right, like, we'll try it. I had no idea, a, really a difference of 50 yards right? You're going from the field to a, a booth. So geographically, like not a huge deal, huge deal. Wow. <laughs> like as soon as my voice was heard from a booth standpoint, like now I got the headset on, now I'm calling the game. Like you're hearing me all game. And when you see me, I'm not on a field with a microphone. I'm on the field with a headset sitting next to the play-by-play. -play. And it just was like, minds were blown, whether really awesome or really like we hate it. Um, there was really no middle ground. Like no one was just like, oh, great, a female moving on. Like it was like, this is like something we're going to react to. Yeah. And from then we just never looked back. I'm grateful for ESPN because it was their idea. But um, once it was like known, I, I didn't even think anyone would listen or pay attention. Um, but my very first Sunday night baseball game was, um, a no hitter and the first and only no hitter on Sunday night baseball history. So in 30 years of Sunday night baseball, my very first game, um, on that show was a no hitter. So everyone heard, <laughs> so <laughs> they heard my voice. Like, so it wasn't something we could just kind of slot, which I think was part of the plan. Um, but then it became yeah. the most watched game in like a decade because of this no hitter that was, that happened. Um, and so because of that, I, I did go to my bosses and I was like, look, if we are going to do this, I don't want it to be a one-off. I don't want it to be, yeah. Hey, we got the female. Isn't that cute? Um, I want it to be because I was good enough. 
And so I challenge them with that. And if I'm, I'm not good enough, like help me get good enough. Cause I really like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they kept me in the booth and it's been amazing. It's now led to, um, still working with, with ESPN and MLB, um, but now with the Dodgers as well. So I just called my first series with Joe Davis, um, awesome. the voice of the Dodgers, who's now going to do the world series actually. And I'll be doing the world series for ESPN. He'll be doing the world series for Fox. So it'll be pretty cool. That is great. I did. Um, I did a game with him up at Oregon. So that's awesome. Oh, he Just... he told me he did softball, and I was <laughs> yes. like, "Where? Who? I need all the details." And it was like five minutes there, and he's like, "We'll talk about it later." <laughs> it was up in. It was in Oregon, and we had to climb the little ladder, and our table was oh, yeah, pre new stadium, stadium, Oregon, okay. pre new stadium. <laughs> yes, um, that's awesome. Okay, let's again just. For sake of time, I, I really need to get you back on this for sure. Um, but I want you to talk just a little bit too before we get into kind of the the acronym for gold standard. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about how you juggle all of this um, with parenting. You're the mom of two boys. Your husband Adam has been your sidekick through it all, which is you know what's led to you being able to have these opportunities as well and supporting you, helping you know with the boys. But I also love you guys travel the world with your boys. You guys take the time that you do have available and you make the most of it. You've done some homeschooling with them as well, and and also maybe even I mean you're Jessica, you're fit. You're how do you tie in working out or where do you have time for that as well? So how have you balanced those types of things, staying healthy and physically fit, being a mom, um, you know, with all the work demands that you have? Knowing that it's never in balance, like accepting the fact that I don't have it all, like ever, all these jars that we are juggling are never equal, like ever. Like it's very rare that like taking care of work, got everything done, kids fed, like all the things and homework and like, by the way, wife, like, honey, let me give you your attention. And I'm doing all the things physically. And no, <laughs> I mean, it's a, you know, what show most days and I've had to accept and learn. And like, what I feel like I've really put my energy into is being present in what I've chosen to do. Yes. Like right now I am all like you, like it is like, you know, I get to see my friend Leah. We get to talk this podcast. Like I, the problem with that is like, if I had to pick up my kids right now from school, I would, I would not be aware. Like, <laughs> like you know, there could be flames coming from the kitchen right now. So start to cook something like it ain't perfect. It ain't pretty. But what I do do is like, like when I get home, my kids picked me up from the airport yesterday and it's like immediate, like we're wrestling. We went mountain biking. We're like, just let's be together. And I was gone for five days before that. So I missed a lot, but when I was gone, I was all about work and diving in and making sure I'm studying and, and doing that. So I've just learned to give myself the grace and trust me, there's some really hard times with that. Cause there's a lot of mom guilt out there that's I think, put onto us beyond what we carry, um, is giving myself the grace of like, you know what, Jess, this is hard. And I wish I could be there for my son's baseball game today that I'm coaching, but okay. instead I'm in Oklahoma calling a softball game. And this is the life I've chosen. And I'm going to kick butt at what I'm doing today. And when I'm around my son, even though I missed this or missed that, like I'm going to give him all of me mm -hmm. in those moments that I have when I'm with him. Yeah, I, I just absolutely, you and I, I think are just so similar. Everything you're saying is literally how I, same thing, like, and, and you played in the pro league when you had your first son and I played when I, you know, was a mom with Jake and you were our first on, mom yes, like, yeah, and, with our first mom with Jake, <laughs> like she showed us all like, 
you could be a mom, like literally, because after you did that, it was Lisa and Explosion. Jenny and like everybody's <laughs> having babies and Taraya and, and, and like, no one had ever had a child until you while yeah. still currently playing. Like, thank goodness. So we yeah. were cool for you because we didn't really know. We we're like, how's it going? Okay. Well, Jake's still alive. I mean, someone locked him in the bathroom on the tour bus, but I mean, he's fine. Like just maybe sit there. Later. He'll be good. <laughs> It definitely takes a village. That is for sure. That's what I will say. And as softball players, you know, we're, we're used to being flexible, like just on the fly, but I I agree. And for me, I just view it as juggling. And when you're juggling, you kind of have one, one ball touching at one time. And it's like, that's the one you're focused on. And that's, you know, that's how I feel like I've been able to do it as well. All right. So this is called the gold standard podcast. So with that being said, when you think of the word, the gold standard, what comes to mind for you? I think like how we are as humans, I think it goes down to the core of who we are. I think we get defined so much on our athletic talent, our accolades, accomplishments, our grades when you're younger, um, your looks, uh, you know, how much money you have. There's so many things out there. I think now more than ever, social media, all the things it's put to the forefront. And like, my biggest thing is like, who are you as a human? Like, that's what I've enjoyed so much. Like my friends, the people that I connect with now, like are the ones that like let all of that go and we're able to really connect and understand who we are as human beings, our, our souls. And to me, that's, that's what the gold standard is, is working what's in here and everything outwardly, you'll be so much happier, better. And honestly, you'll, you'll attract better people. Yeah, for sure. Finding that joy from within and, and knowing that your identity is not in what you're accomplishing, but who you who you are as a person. And that's available to everybody, right? We all might not have the same same amount of talent or money, like you're saying, or position or titles, but that isn't what matters at the end of the day. Um, okay, so the first letter G stands for uh, goals and goal setting. So we talked a little bit about your path. What would you say to other people that's important in that area? What I love about your story, Jessica, is that you went as opportunities came towards you. You were, you worked hard at what you did. You gave your all when it was before you. And then from that other opportunities came that you weren't even expecting. So when it comes to people setting goals or having, you know, something they want to accomplish, what do you think is most important for them to focus on? Getting uncomfortable, (laughs) like doing the hard thing. Like, and that applied to running shuttles when no one else was running them, like do the things no one else is doing. And that you're like, I don't, if, if you react, like, I don't want to do this besides like bad decisions, you know, morally things like that. But <laughs> if it's like not wanting to study for a test, not wanting to run shuttles. Um, now it's like, I just got asked to host this show that I am like literally sweating like two and a half months from now. And I wanted to say no, because at the end of the day, I don't want to host anything. <laughs> and it's really hard. <laughs> and it's on national television, but I'm like, dang it, Jess, like, we got to get uncomfortable. And I've noticed that when I've done that, when I was a sideline reporter for SEC college football, like with no background, and by the way, totally screwing up like many times you're interviewing Nick Saban going into halftime, like all these things, like it was that those experiences that have now helped me. Oh my gosh. Like 50 fold than any other kind of like easier route, fun route, like the route everyone else is taking, like get uncomfortable. 
Hmm. I love that makes me think of the the saying, do it afraid as well. Right. Cause it's that yeah. fear that holds people back and, and a lot of people don't. Right. And then they never, yeah. they never learn. Okay. So the next letter is, O. it stands for overcoming obstacles because there are obstacles everyone will face. You kind of mentioned it there. Um, but what, what is you, you talked about getting uncomfortable. Was there any obstacle that you can think of that? Um, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, I don't know, maybe a different obstacle, yeah. maybe in the sport of softball that you felt like really prepared you for that next level. Uh, I mean, my obstacle I, I was going to think of is more now in like hearing voices, like social media. I, I know I mentioned this earlier, but it's stronger than ever. And I think we listen to strangers now more than we ever did. Mm-hmm. Like if someone walked by you in the street and was just like, I don't like you, like thumb down or like some emoji, like, you know what I mean? Like, would we really give them the amount of energy that we do to these complete like eggheads? Like literally they don't even have like an avatar and I found I've had to learn that I, I do and I care. And it's like, God, why do I spend so much time on strangers who have bad things to say about me? Um, so that's an obstacle that I've definitely had to overcome. I didn't realize how much it was affecting me until I really started to pause on air because of literally hearing the negative voices say, shut up, stop talking. You're a woman, like all these things. And I never thought it was bothering me until like there was one time on air, like I, I would go to talk and everybody was talking to me all these voices. I was like, Oh my God, am I, am I crazy? Like, am I losing my mind? Wow. Does anyone here? But it was really just all the things I had read that I thought I had pushed away, but they were still there. And then it started to debilitate me as far as my ability to do my job. Yes. Wow. That is so good for all of us to hear. And it's so true. And that you think of our youth and how hard that is for them. I remember in college, like the biggest thing for us was coach Candrea would say, don't look at the newspaper, right? Every really as college students going to go pick up and buy a newspaper. No, but he'd be like, don't read the newspaper. And now it's just maybe an columnist writing about you. Or maybe your batting average. And then that gets in your head. But like you just said, oh, wow. For the time that we live in, every single person needs to take that advice. And we didn't need to not let anybody live rent-free in our heads. And you're going on your goals and you might want to just skip the other ones because I feel like you need to create a board of directors. Like every corporation has them to help their business be good. We should have our personal board of directors and they're not people that always agree with us. They're not just your mom and dad or wife or partner or whatever. They're people that are going to disagree with you. They're people, but they're people that love you and care about you. That's all that matters. Find your board of directors. You can always call a meeting. How do we make our business better? How do we, you know, all of that. And don't listen to anyone else. You literally have to find those people. And then everyone else who's liking or not liking or commenting on photos and all the things, are they on your board? Just ask yourself that question. Are they in this room that you have selected? And if they're not, slam the door, put them out. They don't matter. So good. So good. All right. Very good. Now L stands for leadership um, and leaders who... You know, is there a certain leader or maybe even just something that the best leaders that you had, it could be even in your production, right? With ESPN or at the top level, maybe it was in college softball or Team USA. Maybe what those qualities um, that stood out to you the most, what what do you think makes the best leader? Communication, like especially now, like there's a lot of lack of communication. People don't really know how to communicate anymore. Um, They assume, you know, things or they assume whatever. The more you can communicate, especially in a role of leadership, a position of leadership, this I think is a lot with work, you know, talk to people, tell them it's okay to like say the hard thing. And that's the second thing. Leadership's on the field. Try not to be, you don't want to be everyone's friend. I mean, you knew this, Leah, like, I mean, Lori Harrigan, who was like, I felt like our best leader, like people, like she made enemies, like not enemies, but like she would say the hard thing. She would get in someone's grill. 
And we all respected her. And that to me is a leader. And I don't mean like go and yell at people, but you need to be able to not think about how can I be her friend? How can I make her better is the approach. And if it means I have to say something that's hard and she wants to like flip me off and walk away, that's her decision. But I'm going to be here to make her better. And sometimes that means saying the thing that they don't always want to hear. Good, good stuff. All right. D stands for dedication and drive. What are the daily things that you think um, anybody that's successful? And again, it could apply to any aspect of your life. The the daily habits you hold that are most important to you. Um, definitely movement. <laughs> I think, and that can even be movement of the mind. Like I've meditated more now than ever. Um, if I'm flying all day and I can't move, like I try to like move through meditation. I know that that was a little deeper, but, um, that's a big one. And honestly, like love, like, I I don't know, in a a time where I feel like we're so quick to judge and be negative and find like a way to hate and hate can look a lot of different ways. I think if we could just find a way to see everyone's side and know that like everyone is like a good human at their core and find a way to like find the positive. It doesn't have to be love, but like, I look at it as love. Like, I love you. You're an awesome person. I don't agree with you right now, but instead of getting mad at you and combative, I'm going to find a way to love you. I'm going to find a way to find the good in what you have to say. Well, and I think that's what we are lacking is, is that, um, you know, ability to agree to disagree and, and not be divisive over every little thing. It's okay. We might just have different views on some of that. And honestly, I feel like even just, I, I talk a lot about our team and, and you and I just, I feel like we were able to share what we felt. We might've yeah. had different views. We were opposite ends, but, but we I love stopped. hearing, I love hearing it. Yeah. I love learning. I love, you know, knowing, okay, but here's why I believe, but here's why, or maybe I need to look at that a different way. And so, so I think it's so important to be able to do that. All right. It, it has been so awesome. Okay. A couple, couple of things to finish with. Can you tell us some three gold tips that you would have for softball players today? Find the love. Like I know I just said, but like half, like having fun. So depending on the age, like my eight-year-old that I'm coaching, like we have fun. 90%. Like that is the goal. Like whether it's good snacks, like making sure we're playing games during the game. Like if you're not loving it you got a long road ahead of you. It's too hard. Um, and then I think, you know, doing the hard thing for sure. Do like when no one's looking, what are you doing that no one else is? Cause as someone that was not super talented, the reason I got super talented guaranteed was because I was doing the things that most people were not doing. And I knew that. And a part of me kind of had a grin if I was like running and, and lifting weights or, you know, going and doing the things that no one else wants to do. Um, I know you said a third, but I think I took up two of mine. So, <laughs> okay. Your two are, are great. That's, that is awesome. How can people find you, Jessica? Um, on uh, mostly I'm Instagram, probably the most just at Jess Mendoza too. Twitter at Jess Mendoza. Um, but you can also just tune into every Sunday night, pretty much Sunday night baseball countdown every night at 6 PM Eastern, including this Sunday. We got Pirates Cardinals and um, Slew of Dodger games and the Women's College World Series, which Lee will be at. And, you know, uh, so I'll start with our regionals coverage for that regional supers and the Women's College World Series. Yeah. So fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for everything you shared. I, I think a lot of people need to hear the message because you um, rose to the top 
stayed at the top and have just launched out in just this unbelievable career. But really it's the core of who you are and your work ethic and your desire to not only yourself be better, but make others around you better. I know that's, that's helped. And so, um, I hope all of you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. Make sure to tune in, uh, for the next time, but Jess, thanks for being here with us. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Gold Standard Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. You can post on social media and tag at Leah20USA or use hashtag Gold Standard Podcast. Make sure you also subscribe so you get notified each week as a new episode releases. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We appreciate your reviews as they help encourage others to listen in. Until next time, live out the gold standard and keep turning your goals into reality.